Thank you, Dr. Joan Anthony, for this kind introduction. Um, good morning, Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen. I am honored to have been invited to speak today at the, two, at the 22nd Annual Arab-U.S. Policymakers Conference on Navigating Arab-U.S. Relations. Navigation is a tricky thing and, uh, and most of us need help finding our way around a new city. Imagine having to navigate a peace process for over six decades. No wonder we seem to have lost our way. Wouldn't it be exciting if the United States, Israel, and the Arab world shared a common GPS that would lead them to the same desired destination, peace in the Middle East at the same time? Our common hope is to establish peace in the Middle East, and although I don't have a GPS that will lead. I have my own thoughts to share with you this morning. I will talk for a while about the Arab Spring and then I will go to the, peace, um, to the Arab Peace Initiative and other issues briefly. A recent article in the New York Times entitled Real Change Will Take Generations asserts that the Arab Spring has to be retired and that there is nothing spring-like going on. The article contends that even the Arab awakening is not longer valid. Indeed, of uh, referring to the Arab Spring, the article suggests describing what happened as simply the Arab decade or the Arab quarter century. Change does not happen overnight especially in the Middle East, and although there, are, there may not be any promising results from the Arab Spring so far, time will only tell. However, the events that happened in the region beginning with and subsequent to the Arab Spring have elicited a number of positive changes in Arab-U.S. relations on a state level. Due to the unprecedented steps taken by the Arab League in response to the post-Arab Spring challenges, challenging developments in, the, in our region, particularly in Libya and Syria. A memorandum of understanding for cooperation between the League of Arab States and the United States Department of State was signed in September 2012. This MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, is intended to promote more effective cooperation and coordination of Arab-U.S. policies, as well as to create an ongoing dialogue in, var in various fields to achieve economic, social, cultural, educational, and humanitarian cooperation. At that time, then-Secretary Clinton described the signing of MOU as the opening of a new chapter in the history of U.S.-Arab League relations. On this occasion, she said that the United States and the Arab League have worked more closely together than ever before we have stood shoulder to shoulder in responding to the crisis in Libya and Syria. As a result of, the, of this MOU, Secretary Clinton and I launched a U.S. initiative called the Open Book Project. According to the Open Book Project description, 
anyone in the Arab world with access to the internet will be able to read, download, and print these science and technology materials in Arabic free of course. And they can also adapt the materials to meet the local needs of their classrooms and other educational entities. The signing of this memorandum of understanding is one of the recent highlights of the relationship between the Arab League and the US State Department. However, prior to the signing of this agreement, the US also launched two very important initiatives. The first initiative was in August 2011, when the United States adopted a comprehensive strategy to prevent and respond to atrocities as a key focus of US foreign policy. President Obama ordered the creation of the Atrocities Prevention Board in order to prevent and respond to genocide and mass atrocities and to hold perpetrators of atrocities accountable to bring them to justice. To date, this board has focused primarily on the prevention of atrocities in Libya at that time and Syria today. In September 11, the US launched a second initiative called the Open Government Partnership this partnership is as, is as an effort to engage countries in the fight against corruption and to push for openness, transparency, and accountability. Also, I noticed the focus of the State Department and the US government on religion. Now, religion in general, and in particular the role of Islam in politics in the Middle East, and somewhere else, is another topic that I know is of great concern to the State Department and to the U.S. government. The State Department has a special representative to Muslim communities or Muslim minorities abroad, and there is also a special envoy of the President to the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. Most recently, on the 7th August 2013, Secretary of State John Kerry launched the Office of Faith-Based Community Initiatives. This newly formed office joins the State Department Office of International Religious Freedom and the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, Center for Faith-Based and Community Initiatives. In addition, foreign service officers are now acquired, are now required to take classes on religion as a part of their overall training, overall training. I think it's important to understand other religions and to engage with religious leaders and communities locally and abroad. As religion is an integral part of the daily life for billions of people around the world. However, I am concerned about the attention directed towards Islam and Muslims in particular. In my opinion, Religion, any religion, has nothing to do with the problem of violence or even terrorism. It is not religion that motivates us to do something evil. On the contrary, it is the policies of some countries vis-a-vis -vis others. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity share many key values in common. One of these beliefs or values is that all evil on earth is caused by man, not by God. Instead of blaming religion, we should put the blame on policies 
political matters, or social and economic problems. Within the framework of international efforts to combat violence and evil acts, and, and, uh, and even acts of terrorism and atrocities, it is all the more imperative to resolve the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. This is one of the major causes of instability and insecurity in the region. By resolving this conflict and achieving a just, comprehensive, and lasting peace, we will deny those who commit violence based on the premise of achieving justice for Palestinians the right to use this noble cause or noble issue for their own evil objectives. A major change in the foreign policy of the United States vis-a-vis -vis the Arab-Israeli conflict is the revival of Arab peace initiative, which was presented by the then, by then Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Abdullah bin Abdulaziz, now the King of Saudi Arabia. This initiative was first endorsed by the, first endorsed by two, by the 22 Arab countries for the first time during the Beirut Arab Summit on March 28, 2002. The initiative offered an historic and unprecedented opportunity to achieve a just, comprehensive, and durable peace in the Middle East based on international laws. It underscores two basic points. One, a just and a comprehensive peace in the Middle East is a strategic choice for the Arab world. The initiative calls on Israeli to declare that a just peace is also its chosen strategic option. The other point, the military approach, approach towards the Arab-Israeli conflict will not bring peace or security to the region. In this initiative, the, 20, the, two, the, two, uh, the 22 Arab countries explicitly express their readiness to establish a normal relations with Israel within the context of a comprehensive peace, uh, peace in exchange. They expect a legal and complete Israeli withdrawal from the Arab territories occupied in 1967. The initiatives outlines the establishment of a sovereign, independent, and viable Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza Strip, with East Jerusalem as, capital, as its capital, and an agreed-upon solution for the problem of millions of Palestinian refugees in accordance with UN General Assembly Resolution 194. As I stated, this initiative was endorsed by all the, Arab, by all, by all the 22 Arab countries, the United States, the European Union, the United Nations, the Islamic Cooperation Organization, only, and only Israel has not responded to or acknowledged the initiative since 2002. This revival of the Arab Peace Initiative comes almost 20 years after the signing of the Oslo Accords between the Palestinian Authority and Israel. I will not discuss the shortcomings or success of the Oslo Accords, but the fact is that the settlements in the occupied territories have doubled from two, from, since then, from 250, 250 to 500, since the accord was signed. And as Ms. Laila Hilal, I think one of the panelists, she's around here, 
she indicated in one of the think tank uh, uh, groups the other day that the Oslo Accord left the Palestinian land fragmented and, Palest and Palestine cause polarized between Hamas and the Palestinian Authority. During and after the Arab awakening, I noticed that there was some support and calls for reviving the peace initiative. This came primarily from the United States side. Israeli officials tried to avoid calling it an Arab peace initiative. They preferred referring to it as a two-state solution. What is important is the fact that it was the US and only the United States was the government that pushed for the revival of the Arab Peace Initiative 11 years after it was first presented. I have noticed that there are an increasing number of Israeli officials, prominent pro-Israeli scholars and writers who are worried about the future of Israel and that if Israel continues to occupy the Palestinian territories, and to pursue the policy of building settlements in occupied territories, Israel will cease to be Jewish, democratic, or a Zionist state. As many of you know, it was agreed that no party of or participants in the peace negotiation have the right to leak any part of the ongoing negotiations. The only one who is allowed to comment or reveal any progress on this is Secretary Kerry. There has been a complete media blackout, blackout, no photos and no statements. This seems to be some of the lessons learned from the previous failed negotiations. This allows participants to be able to, con to, be con to, to concentrate or focus on the long and serious peace talks instead of, instead of thinking of what they will tell the media waiting outside. The peace talks ha had been stalled on several occasions due in large part to Israelis' continually increasing settlements and Palestinian concern about their repercussions on the socio-economic and political viability of a, of a future Palestinian state. Most members of the international community regard the Israeli settlements as illegal under international law, including the U.S., but the U.S. considers the settlement as illegitimate, avoiding using the term illegal. Secretary of State Kerry intensive shuttle diplomacy of six rounds during a four-month period from April till July 2013 brought the Middle East negotiators together. The peace negotiations are going on as we speak now. It is worth mentioning that at his Senate confirmation hearing of 25 January 2013, Secretary Kerry stressed the importance of achieving peace in the Middle East and the, and the linkage of U.S. foreign policy in some geographical areas to the Arab-Israeli conflict. And I quote, so much, he said, of what we aspire to achieve and what we need to do globally, as well as what we need to do in the Maghreb and the South Asia, in South Central Asia, and throughout the Gulf, all of this is tied to what we can or doesn't happen with respect to peace talks between Israel and Palestinians, started on the 13th of July 2013, unquote. So far, 
After numerous rounds of negotiations, no progress has been revealed or discussed with the media, but the Palestinians expressed their dismay and frustration over Israel's continued construction of settlements on the West Bank while negotiations are taking place. A senior Palestinian official said that this policy by Israel will destroy every opportunity for a possible agreement. During a recent meeting with President Obama, Prime Minister Netanyahu stated two points which really make it difficult to go, and to, to go, to go along with peace. He said that he wants peace and Israel wants peace, but it is not possible to return to the 1967 borders, which he considers indefensible. He said Israel needs to maintain its military presence along its border with the, with the Valley of Jordan. Again, another point which makes negotiation of peace difficult. He said that Israel will not accept the return of the, of the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of the Palestinians expelled in 1948 because, as we said, this will wipe out the future of Israel as a Jewish state and that the problem of Palestinian refugees must be resolved within the context of a, of a Palestinian state. Uh, in the aftermath of the Arab awakening, it seemed contrary to what expected that Israel left more secure than ever. Former Prime Minister of Israel Olmert uh, said during his visit to Washington in June that this is the first time in 60 years that Israel feels more secure. Another one, the senior defense official, Amos Gilad, only 10 or two weeks ago, delivered a lecture at the Washington Institute. He said that despite the threat of Iran and the continuing turmoil in the Middle East, Israel is more secure than ever. As he said, he continued, as we have defeated terrorism, Iran strains under choking sanctions, we are rid of Syrian chemical weapons, and we have finished off any conventional Arab military threat, as there is no regular Arab army capable of confronting Israel as things were back in 1973. Even with the presence of Hamas in Gaza, Israel feels more comfortable. In a recent interview, Major General Sami Turgman, head of the Israeli Defense Forces South Command, said that it is in Israeli best interest for Hamas to maintain control in Gaza because we need quiet and security in the areas of Gaza. To conclude, just one minute. Given all the security guarantees available to Israel courtesy of USAID, including the Iron Dome missile defense system, as well as the commitment of the US to help maintain Israel's military superiority over all the 22 Arab countries combined with all of these security advantages that Israel enjoyed over the Arab countries, Israel can win one battle after one, one battle, but it cannot win a final war. Israel cannot win peace in the region, nor can it win acceptance by the international community as long as Israel continues to occupy Arab land and defy all of the legal United Nations Security Council resolution pertinent to Palestine. Any just or imperfect or incomplete peace will not guarantee permanent security or permanent peace for the Israelis or for the Palestinians. I expect future Palestinian generations to rise up against these injustices once again 
and consequently conflict will resume at some point in the future. I sincerely hope that the ongoing direct peace negotiation will lead to a resolution that achieves a just and lasting peace through resolving all permanent status issues as a major step toward comprehensive Middle East peace. This will contribute to finally establishing regional security and stability. And stability. In conclusion, I would like to quote what the late Prime Minister of India, Jawaharlal Nehru, said, once said, and I quote, the only alternative to existence is co-destruction. Thank you very much. Thank you,